This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. Today I would like to talk about the history of the jazz bass. Now, when we talk about jazz bass players today, you know, names like Scott LaFaro or Ray Brown or Oscar Pettiford or Charles Mingus or Paul Chambers, you know, that generation of great bass players coming out of the 40s and 50s and even into the contemporary bass players today, we're not talking about those bass players. We're talking about a generation that has been long forgotten, but they laid the groundwork for the modern bass style and for the bass functioning is the, is the primary heartbeat or timekeeper in a jazz group. It's very interesting that most of the great first generation of bass players are from New Orleans or the Mississippi Delta. And the reason is this. In the late 19th century, early 20th centuries, most outdoor marching bands or bands that were playing popular music were, were based on the brass band tradition. Now, New Orleans, because of its proximity to Havana, Cuba, and other islands in the Caribbean, had a very, very strong Hispanic or Afro-Cuban flavor to the music. And in Cuba, string bands were very popular. So in New Orleans, there was a combination of string instruments and brass instruments. If you look at a picture of Buddy Bolden's band from 1908, there is a picture of James Johnson holding a bass and not using a tuba. So it's kind of a false impression that all the bands out of New Orleans use tuba. No, that's not true. A lot of them use string bass. One of the reasons we don't hear a lot of string bass on early records is because they're acoustic recordings. The first recording I'm going to play is actually from an unlikely source. It's Ted Lewis, who was a very popular band leader in New York in the 1920s. And his clarinet playing, I would have to say, leaves quite a bit to be desired. But he was very popular, and he was a great entertainer. And he featured one of the first recordings, electric recordings, made in 1925 with a great bass player by the name of Harry Barth. Check out Harry's bass playing on a very popular song called Mylenberg Joys. Most of these um, recordings start with the bass player using a bow to get these kind of long, kind of heavy notes. And then at one point, when they would go into what's, what's called a hot style, or there'd be collective improvisation or a solo improvisation, that's when the bass player would start plucking the strings. And they used a technique called slap bass, which is they're actually hitting and plucking the strings to get a really percussive sound. You can hear the bass very clearly, and they can create these wonderful rhythms or cross rhythms or syncopations. Um, and it was a technique that was used to, to drive the band and, and again, to separate the, the melody from the improvisation. The slap style is not really what we call the walking bass. That comes in the late 20s or early 1930s. But all bass players used this slap technique, and it was very, very popular. It really creates an incredible amount of excitement, and you can hear the instruments. You have to remember that these are the very, very first electric recordings. 
The tuba was still used in a lot of the dance orchestras from the 1910s through about the mid to late 1920s. The string bass really began to replace the tuba as soon as electric recordings became popular. Even with King Oliver's band in the early 1920s, he was using a string bass. He had Bill Johnson, the great New Orleans uh, pioneer bassist, playing with him. But on the recordings, they couldn't hear the string bass. So um, Bill Johnson ended up playing banjo or guitar or something. It wasn't until the mid-20s and they began to use this new electronic recording system. You could actually hear the instrument. Another one of the great New Orleans bass players who emigrated up to Chicago was a man by the name of Steve Brown, a very popular bassist in Chicago, and eventually he ended up in Detroit playing with a very well-known and popular band from Detroit called the Gene Goldkett Orchestra. We're going to listen to a piece entitled My Pretty Gal that really features Steve Brown really pushing the band to the end of the recording. Remember, they usually would start with a bow, but when the ensemble would come in at the end of the recording, when the band really had to take off, that's when these bass players would put the bow down and really slap the bass. Another very important New Orleans jazz pioneer was Jelly Roll Morton. Jelly Roll used tuba often, but on some of his most famous Hot Peppers recordings made in Chicago in the late 1920s, he used another very important and popular New Orleans bassist by the name of John Lindsay. Let's listen to one of his most famous recordings. This is the Black Bottom Stomp, which features John playing the bass. Now remember, back then, the bass used to play in what was called two um, where they play bing, bong, bing, bong, 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 kind of like a tuba. But at one point in this recording, John Lindsay starts playing in four, which really foreshadows the later style of bass we call walking. So check out Black Bottom Stomp. Another wonderful bassist, um, although not very well known, was a man by the name of Johnny Mueller, and he lived in Chicago, and he played with the Charles Pierce Orchestra. They didn't make many recordings, but I want to play an excerpt from a very famous song called China Boy. Remember that these tracks always started with the bass player using the bow, and then when the solos would start, when the bass player really had to kick it up to the next level, that's when they would start walking or slapping the bass and create that incredible energy and change in texture. Check out Mueller's playing behind alto saxophonist Charles Pierce. Thank you. 
Another well-known bassist from the 1920s in Chicago was a woman by the name of Thelma Terry. She was also a very um, important band leader and led a very popular group from about 1926 to about 1930 in Chicago. And she was a bass virtuoso. She attended Austin High. So she was a little older than what we consider to be the Austin High gang, you know, Big Spider, Beck, and the McPartland brothers. Um, but she was a fine bassist. And we're going to listen to her play with her own orchestra, a piece called Voice of the Southland. This is Thelma Terry. Very little is known about about her, but she was a terrific bassist. Check this out. Another one of the great New Orleans bass players who emigrated to New York was a man by the name of Wellman Bro. Wellman played bass and tuba with Duke Ellington from about 1927 to, I believe, 1935. And by the late 20s, had pretty much given up the tuba in favor of the bass. He was a terrific bassist, had a great sound, wonderful projection, and could uh, really push the band. You have to remember, this is before amplification, so these bass players were really pulling on the strings, and that's one of the reasons why they would hit or slap the bass. This um, recording we're going to listen to right now is called Freeze and Melt. It was recorded by a band called Joe Turner and his Memphis men, which was really a pseudonym for the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Duke was under contract to one particular record label, but that did not prevent him from recording on many other different record labels, but he couldn't use his name, but we all know the sound of the Ellington band. So this is Joe Turner and his Memphis men featuring the great bassist, Wellman Bro, and we all know that this is the Duke Ellington Orchestra. So all the recordings that we've heard on the show today were made between 1925 and 1929. And many of them can be found on this wonderful collection from Dust to Digital Records. It's called How Low Can You Go? It's a three-CD set. It's um, These recordings are almost impossible to find, and this one collection has all this great music. We're going to close the show with another one of the great first-generation New Orleans bassist, a man by the name of George Pops Foster, who played with just about everyone you can imagine in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s, and he had a very long and wonderful career. 
He was playing in the late 20s with the Louis Russell Orchestra, which was a very famous group and also used to back up Louis Armstrong. And this is one of their big hits from 1929. This is called Panama, featuring the great New Orleans bassist Pops Foster. This has been Jazz Insights with Dr. Gordon Vernick. Visit me on the web at gordonvernick.com. Jazz Insights is produced by WMLB AM 1690, the voice of the arts in Atlanta, Georgia.